You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 185 of the Healthy Critters Radio on Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we talk with Jackie Carlson about quarter cracks. The critter of the show is the Blue Jay. In Critter Nutrition, we look at the ego and the heart. And in Coffee Clatch, we share our new favorite things. Join us. And I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. Thanks for joining us once again here on Healthy Critters Radio, where we sit down a couple of times a month and chit-chat about all things healthy and critter. And Blue Jay, that's an interesting critter for today. I don't know how many songbirds we've had before. I don't think we've had any. Yeah, that's going to be fun. This is always the part of the show where we catch up on what we've been up to, and we chit-chat, and we gab. And most of the time, Tigger and Patty have been so busy drinking wine that they don't have anything prepared for this part of the show. <laughs> so Fairly I get accurate. to take over and I do ha- I I don't have anything prepared either. So I'm going to wing it. And today's quiz question is because Patty recently got a new horse and mm-hmm. Tigger recently got a new puppy. When mm-hmm. it comes to new fur babies in your life or feathered babies or leathery skinned scaly babies or whatever, when a new animal comes into your life, do you keep the name it has? Do you search for a good na- a new name? If you get a new name, do you give it right away? Do you take suggestions? Tigger, you're up first. Uh, I usually, uh, I never take the name of the, that the breeder is given. If the breeder is given a, a name. And um, I generally come up with a name before I go pick up the puppy. Mm-hmm. So... That would be my answer. I come up has, with my has, own name. Has, have you ever done that? And then the puppy comes. of it. Has your? Has I your, don't put it out on social media and say what? What should I name my puppy? No. No. Have you ever changed your mind after you named a puppy? Never. Never. Ooh, a very Ooh. metal kind of an answer right there. So, Patty, <laughs> how about you? Well. I've changed a lot of horses' names and like the registered names. Um, I tend to come up with a, a, a Tiggy or Relly. Will tell you I'm the queen of nicknames. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tigger's nickname to me has always been Relly Bird. We'll get into that in a later show. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Uh, How do you spell that? Relly. It was a long. Time. What's that? How do you spell that? I'm writing it down. <laughs> it's R E L L I E. Yeah. Got it. Anyway, so this particular horse, his name is Octagon. DC and it's a Spanish horse. It's a Lusitano. It's a horse that I'm hoping to, you know, bid for the 2026 working equitation team. And I, you know, it's kind of a dumb name. Um, but I have allowed the last few horses, I shouldn't say it's a dumb name. It's just, it, I don't understand why something would, they would name them a, a shape, but anyway, so, um, I came up with a d- couple different names that I thought I'd like. And then my new thing is I let my oldest granddaughter pick the name and um we have decided to call him ocho oh i like it good name well ocho yeah, it means eight 
Eight. Eight-sided. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, that's how. But I've often, I've changed horses' names completely, even in the registered names. This, I'm going to keep his name. I don't care about that so much. I've never heard of another octagon, but but I, I like Tigger. I, 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 a lot of times I have to, like the last, well, t- the last dog I got is one that Tigger and I own together. And we kind of came up with that together, didn't we, Tig? Well, I suggested it. You very politely accepted it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think I really like like name. It's just a good name, and you know. Um, but you, but it had I don't know. It had a lot of meaning to me when you picked it because it's you know it's the Catch McBay and you know all of that stuff. So yeah, I don't know. So yeah, but I like them. I like all of my names. I I don't know. I I like them to have either be unique or. For instance, my cat's name is one of my cat's names is Fupa. Her real name was Mila, but my daughter came in and named her Fupa. Do you guys know what a Fupa is? Do not. Got above the pelvic area. She was always a little bit of a chub. So uh... <laughs> I digress, but but all of my dogs have like you know nicknames from the original name. It's it's. I think I think a lot more people rename creatures that come into their lives than don't. I just have that impression. Yeah, yeah, that would be my impression too. I know that some people believe it's you know it's bad luck. I don't believe that. I think I don't either. Know. Yeah, I I think I remember some of the oldsters as a, when I was a kid. The oldsters saying, "Oh, you can't rename your horse; it's bad luck" and things like that. Yeah, I think that used to be a kind of an old wives' tale. Yeah, I've yeah. I I yeah. think I probably. Of the of the creatures that have come into my life with names already that I knew about, obviously, when you buy a horse at an auction or something, it probably has a name, but you don't know what it is frequently. But ones that have come mm-hmm. to me with names, I think the vast majority kept their name. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, of course, it, you know, it was really silly. Now, one more quick, one more quick question regarding names. Patty, you're first on this one. Are non-humans in your life allowed to have human names? Oh, yeah. Okay. How about you, Tigger? Yeah. Never. See? People are very polarized on that. It's like horseshoes, not horseshoes, ramp load, step up load. It's very polarizing. There you go. (laughs) It's funny. I never thought of that, Tigger. And all the animals that I've known you to have, I never thought about that. But none of them... Well, you've, you've had some good names. Nope. I have. <laughs> I have to say, I've oh had gosh, some great that, names. There oh you my go. gosh, what's the one? Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> that was a cool dog. <laughs> that was well, a long if, time ago. If you have a critter in your life that has a fun and interesting name or a fun and interesting story behind the name that's really not that, uh, not that unique, we would love to hear about it. Reach out via Facebook. Just go to Facebook and put in Healthy Critters Radio and you'll find it there and hit the like button and, and post on the Facebook page. Or you can just drop us an email, Tigger at BiostarUS.com and uh, let her know. We'd love to hear about it. So today we have Jackie Carlson with us and she is a farrier that works with a longtime friend of mine, James Gilchrist, who has Palm Beach Farriers in Southern Florida in Wellington. And Jackie and I got to meet each other through James, but specifically this year, we needed her for what I'm going to refer to as Jackie is the quarter crack queen. <laughs> um, so welcome to the show. Hi. 
So Jackie and I specifically met because one of my horses had a quarter crack. So Jackie, do you want to explain what that is in a horse's hoof? Sure. A quarter crack is a crack in the quarters of the hoof. You can see it on the side to the heel of the hoof, usually starting up at the coronary band. And it can be caused from a lot of different things. It can be caused from concussion. It can be caused from blunt trauma, or it can be caused by conformational issues. A lot, a lot of different things. So Jackie and I had to work together with a horse that I had that had a pretty substantial quarter crack that happened when I was in Texas. So we brought them down there. And so one of my questions is, is that there's different ways to take care of quarter cracks. And, um, James and I had had several in the, in, the, in the past, but there's now somewhat of this kind of a new procedure, correct? Right. And how to deal with right. it. So can you explain how you got involved in understanding how to patch it and, and what the procedure is like? Sure. Well, how we did it for your horse was actually invented or come up with by Curtis Burns, who is the owner and creator of Polyflex Shoes. And Curtis, traditionally quarter cracks, when they're being taken care of or patched up, you actually have to sew it together and it would create more trauma on the hoof capsule. So Curtis came up with a way to patch the hoof by securing the hoof without causing any additional trauma on the hoof capsule, which, which, which is ideal. (laughs) Um, What is, what does that look like? What is that procedure? So explain what you did. Initially we observed the crack of course, and you had a vet, we consulted with your veterinarian Everything was looked over. The crack was debris, opened up, um, cleaned up, and patched together with what's called a matrix cloth or a very strong fabric cloth. And it's layered between layers of the glue, kind of like patchwork or like a paper mache. And that layering... And going over makes a, it, it a stronger, more durable patch, but it's also very light and very, very thin. So, so the quarter crack, we, once we stain it, clean it out, debris it, we go back into the crack to secure it from, from the deepest part of the crack. And we can do okay. that with the patches. And probably the most important part of Curtis's quarter crack patch setup is that it has and allows for a drain. So right. we create this patch over a drain so you can continue to treat and clean the injured area. Okay, so I'm going to stop you for a So explain why that is important in the process of this. Why is it important to keep it clean? Because this is something oh. that obviously. So what, what, like, you know, you had said you had stained it. What was the purpose of staining it? So the uh, listeners can understand. Of, yeah, sorry. So we can see exactly how far back this crack goes by staining right. it. We can have a better view of this. And, and the crack on your mare was actually bleeding before it was an right. opened 
crack. So that's why when we're able to open that crack up and even though we're able to cover it and secure it and secure that hoof capsule, that injured part of the hoof is able to be treated with their antibacterial. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Which is an important, so that was kind of fascinating because what, when, when you put the patch on, I, you know, we could actually, this, I forgot the name of the product that you guys had us get, but it was like a purple thing. Yeah. The thrush off. Yeah. Yeah. And you could see it shoot through the, the, the uh, foot, which was good. So, okay. So now they have an idea of like what you do, the, um, the, the shoe, you called it polyflex shoe. Is that right? Yes. And that's actually a plastic shoe that also it gets glued on, which is also a different. So why do you use that shoe with this procedure? Well, we really love the polyflex shoes or the polyurethane shoes because it doesn't confine the hoof capsule. It allows the hoof to flex. And with that particular mare, that shoe worked really well with her confirmation because Mm -hmm. she (laughs) confirmationally was applying pressure or a lot of load to one aspect of her hoof when she had the steel shoe on. So the polyflex shoe allowed her foot to actually relax and flex and act more as if she was barefooted. Right. You know, the the shoe gave her the support she needed, but at the same time acts like a, like a barefoot horse. Right. Okay. So, um, and I know that our, our horse took a long time, but, um, on general, like generally, how much time do you allow? Cause this is quite a procedure. Um, cause you, 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 you know, once you get the foot prepped and you get everything ready and you get the, the, the shoe on, you have to then get your, I mean, Jackie's down on the ground, you know, putting these patches on and it's like layer by layer by layer. So how many layers do you put on and how long do you think generally this takes? to do the patching? I guess about an hour. Did I, did I take about an hour for, for those patches? Oh, I, um, yeah, prob- yeah, probably at least, don't you think? Yeah. I, but like because, gen- is it generally that long, do you think? Or Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, I, the prep work is the most important part and that takes some time making sure that the hoof is clean and dry, making right. sure that our quarter, the actual crack is cleaned out dry and everything is just as it should be right. and that's going to be this what brings success to the whole thing is just making sure that everything's properly prepped once we're gluing and everything's all set then that's that's great but the right i know that i take a long time doing my prep to make sure that everything is just as it should be <laughs> well so. you're the best at it so that's that's why we're, we're asking you about it so, um, so on, in a whole, on whole, I mean, obviously we no longer, the, the art, my mare has grown, um, her, it's been grown out. We don't have the patch anymore. We're still doing the polyflex shoes because of what you said, her confirmation, um, James, and I think you felt the same way, you know, wants her to stay in those, which is great. But on average, how many times do you think you generally have to patch a horse? Is there a kind of a time frame in that? Like oh, three that months, part, four that's months? really interesting because it, absolutely depends on the individual and the horse and the amount of hoof they grow because we definitely want that crack to grow out and we need to be sure or else or else we're going to probably have to start all over again so we just want everything to grow out 
And so we'll patch it until then. And it depends really how, how big the crack is to begin with, you know, how severe the severity of that crack to begin with. And like you said, I mean, some, some horses actually bleed when this happens and some don't. My, uh, obviously our, my, I think my mare was confirmational, but then she had a blunt force that caused her to, to uh, pop the, but, um, Okay. Is there anything else that you think you can add to this that, that would be helpful? I mean, besides the fact that this is, you know, it's a very, um, it's a, when I say a long procedure, I mean, it's long for you because you're doing all the prep work, but obviously our horse, I mean, she ended up being sound, um, within what, probably two weeks, which was amazing. And yeah, I was back her in like what, three and a half weeks to four weeks, which was, which was awesome because obviously you don't want to bring horse to Florida and not be able to ride it. So that was like right. the most successful. One of the things too that you guys had suggested is a product called Crackdown. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, oh, Equine uh, Elixirs. We equine. love Crackdown. Yeah. 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 That really helps the horse uh, grow the foot quicker. So that was a good thing. Um, yeah. That's been the best supplement that we've seen so far that's really helped them grow. It's been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is great information. Jackie, thank you so much. Is there anything else you can think to, to add that we've missed? I have a question. Okay, I have a well, question. I, me, 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 me. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> For Jim or Jane, the horse owner. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you know when a quarter crack is something that a veterinarian needs to intervene? Do you, cause you, you know, you don't want to wait till, oh my God, his foot's bleeding or oh, is, are there, are there signs that you say, oh, this one's going to get worse. You need to have, have somebody take care of this versus a quarter crack. Cause I think a lot of people get quarter crack and sand crack mixed up. They look different. I see. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Now, tell me the difference between um, the two. You're going to see that quarter crack at the top of the hoof and it's going to come down and the sooner, the better. My best advice is to have a very open relationship with your farrier and vet and open communication and if you see something that even you're not sure of it's it's never a bad idea to take a picture of it and send it to them and say hey is this something that we need to worry about and and they'll let you know but for quarter cracks of course definitely the sooner you can take care of that the better, especially if it's open, you really want to clean that out and treat it as any other type of wound, you know? Mm-hmm. Got it. So it's, it's, it's more than just a hoof crack. It's an actual wound in the hoof. It, yeah, it goes down. It can go down quite deep. <laughs> um, and of course you might see some things on some horses that are just simple surface cracks. And if you're not sure again, like, yeah, take a picture, send it to your vet or farrier and, you know, get the team together, figure it out. But, um, yeah, always, I would always err on the side of precaution, you know, cause you never know. There you go. Well, I, I experienced my very first quarter crack on a horse ever a few years back and it, it was, it was startling, but it all got healed up and, uh, it's not the end of the world. And sometimes you have to have the, the quarter crack magician come in and sometimes you don't Mm -hmm. but thanks for coming over and visiting us on the show Jacqueline yeah of course I see that you're now interested in me
How nice for me. Hedwig, we have an important question to ask. Every week you do. Every week we do. Uh, Frequently, we will refer to you as Hetty versus Hedwig. Do you appreciate having a nickname beyond your given name? Or should uh, Pomeranians and others of your ilk always be referred to in their formal names? I have many names. (laughs) I bet you do. I am called by some people Hedgewig, which is wrong. I am called by some people Headers, which is also wrong, especially if I fall down, they call me that. I am called (laughs) Heddy, mainly by Tigger. I am called the Barking Crab by my grandpa. I am called Hetty, the most perfect queen of everything by myself. (laughs) (laughs) So it's appropriate for a title to be associated with your given name. That's interesting. So your, your, your siblings have interesting names that now do, do your, your siblings names help to describe who they are or are they more who they represent? Tell us how that works. My siblings' names. Well, for example, Christabel was named Christabel for La Belle Dame Sans Merci from the poem. We've gone through this before, but you probably forgot. And also from the character in uh, Possession by A.S. Byatt. And she's perfectly suited to both personalities. And my brother, my newest brother, who came from a kill shelter in Tennessee because he, they said he was a fierce biter. He has two names. One name is Oliver Twist, and that's when he's being nice. But when he's being psycho, we call him Mr. Twister. <laughs> and then there's my sister, Peas Blossom, who was named, you know, after the fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream. And she is a little bit like a fairy from Midsummer Night's Dream, sort of substanceless and bossy. Substance, and, substanceless and bossy. Two words I never thought to put together in the same name. Thank you, Hedwig. Here to help. Yes, and then are. there's my tiny brother, Waldo, who is often called the Chi Waldo because he's a Chihuahua Waldo. So we just shortened it to Chiwaldo. I see. So obviously it is okay. Now, maybe it's not because you don't get to pick the names. Your servant does. So it's okay for non-humans to carry human names. That's all right. Yes, that's fine. Although you don't meet a lot of humans even these days called Peas Blossom. (laughs) So... Are there certain types of names that we should not give our animals from your point of view? Yes. Hold on for a second while I just make a few points clear. I am not, nor I will I ever be a fur baby. That is revolting, and I want to puke on your shoes. <laughs> I am not fur baby. I am not fluffy. I am not patches. I am not spot. 
Names should be elegant and evocative of character, not descriptive of cult. I just cannot even. What if you went around calling every redheaded person redhead? Would you think that was acceptable? No, you would not. Well, you might, but it's not acceptable. <laughs> that is like calling me fluffy. I've touched a cord. I will have you. Killed. Yep. <laughs> I will be the period at the end of your sentence if you do that. I see. I see. So um, names that are simply descriptive are inappropriate. Is that what you're saying? Insulting. Okay. Diminishing and rude. All right. So if someone has a Dalmatian in their life and they were having a really, really bad day, the day they decided to name their Dalmatian and they call it spots, plural. What would be an appropriate substitute for a name like Spots the Dalmatian? Help us help us through the process of, of naming appropriately. Well, I mean, there are so many ideas here, but I think the first one that springs to mind for me is to call the dog Betinari after the lord of Ankh Morpork because he was so good at camouflage and he used an outfit that was different colored spots to blend in instead of black. So that's what I would call him. You would call him that. Okay. But you wouldn't call him spots. No, I see. No. Okay. So if you were to give yourself a name, Hedwig, instead of your human servant giving you a name, what would you have named yourself? You know, it's an interesting question. And one, of course, I have pondered in the past I mean, there are some options that are sort of compelling to me, but I I think in many ways, Mary, Queen of Scots would be appropriate. (laughs) There we go. Um, We'll leave leave that one where it is. And if you've not read up much on Mary, Queen of Scots, everybody do that. And you'll understand why I had a chuckle. Thank you very much, Hedwig, for helping us understand the appropriate process for naming non-humans. And we'll see you next time. Oh, I'll be here to offer my care, Hedy. Au revoir. And now it's time for the breed of the show. So we are at the critter of the show. And this is, um, I'm not always good. I generally have my son give me an idea of a critter, or sometimes Tigger will make a suggestion. And today, Jen gave me a suggestion, and she suggested Blue Jay. And I have to say, Jen, I was quite excited to research this because there's so much stuff I didn't know. And this, like, this is only touches it. I don't know how much you know about them, but what a cool little bird. Um, So one of the first things that comes up when you research the Blue Jays is that they have a spiritual meaning or symbolism. Um, which I, yeah, I had no idea. It was like the very first thing that came up and they, they say that they are symbols of communication, communication, curiosity, and confidence, and that it may be an omen urging you to speak up and be bold and chase your goals. Kind of cool. Another symbolism is that many devout Christians believe that blue jays is a sign from heaven and a sign of good luck. I had no idea. Did you have any idea about any of this, Jen? No. Kind of cool. 
so it's, you know, kind of a cool thing to get the topic going on the little blue jay. So a couple amazing facts to start off with the blue jay is they're actually related to crows and magpies. Um, blue jays. That does not surprise me. Right. Cause they're so smart. Um, so blue jays do not have a consistent migratory pattern. They are monogamous, monogamous, which I never can say. So I thought was cool. They have huh. a complete complex social system. Blue jays are outstanding at mimicking. And which obviously that makes them very talkative. Um, so to start off with, obviously they're extremely intelligent, closely related to ravens and crows and magpies, which also are very intelligent. Um, many uh, consider they're, they're from the Corvus family. I'm probably not saying that right, but that family of birds to be the smartest on earth. So obviously the blue jays in that group. There are sites that say that blue jays actually can remember human faces and that um, they, if they take an interest in you, they might follow you around. I have, I had heard this a couple of years ago, somebody here had a blue jay and they said it always would show up in the same spot. So I thought that was kind of an interesting, odd little to- mm-hmm. topic. So how do you identify them? Um, they are a common sound bird. They're a very large perky. They have a very large perky crest, blue and white and black plumage. They're a relatively large bird, which can measure anywhere from nine to 12 inches from bill, bill to tail. They're anywhere from um, up to three and a half ounces and their wingspan could be 17 inches, which I thought was cool. They have blue wings, tail, back and crest and a white face. The bird's um, underside is an off white and the neck has a black collar, which extends to both sides of their head. Their bills, their legs are black. They are, <laughs> they're known to be one of the loudest most adaptable birds and it's very quick to take advantage of its surroundings when feeding like they'll go steal I just thought this was so funny it gets into this whole thing about how they go and they steal food from other birds nests <laughs> kind of thought that was funny um but their basic diet is what when they're not stealing from other birds is you know vegetation you know nuts and um seeds and grains and berries but and also insects they have anywhere from four to five eggs and sometimes up to seven a year the eggs can kind of range in color, but they can be like a greenish or buff color and sometimes can be a pale blue. Both of the parents incubate the eggs, but the female does most of the work. And so the, the, they say that it's really quite cool that blue jays have this like wonderful courtship where they'll, um, they'll have like aerial chases and then the male will, you know, bring the female food and stuff. And so it's kind of cool when you think about it, them being monogamous, the work that it goes into the guy getting the girl. So I encourage anybody who has any interest in learning about the Blue Jay to go and listen to their calls because on um, Audubon.org, where I got some of my information, it has a whole like corner page of the different sounds that they make. And um, one's co- you know, called, it's like a JJJ sound, but it, it, the minute you hear it, you go, oh my gosh, I hear that all the time. And you, I would never have known it was a Blue Jay. Um, so it's pretty, pretty cool to listen to that. They can be found in different parts of the country, and they actually have four subspecies. There's one called the coastal blue jay, the northern blue jay, the interior blue jay, and the Florida blue jay, which is the smallest of all the blue jays. Their social social structure is that they live in um, small flocks. They aggressively protect their nests, and this is the cool thing because they're very they're prone to hawks and eagles. Um, that's they're flying alone um, and not in groups. Um, 
but they can, as a group, mob these large birds and fight them off. And they can also, and this is the most fascinating thing, they can imitate calls of other predators that particularly to hawks. I mean, they can actually, they can imitate other predators to see if they're in the area. Isn't that funny? Wow. You got to wonder I know. who who thought of that 40 million years ago, which blue jay stood up and said, Hey guys, work like a dog and hey, see what happens. <laughs> so anyway, I, there's so much more about these birds that you could go on and on, but I, I think the coolest thing is, is I highly suggest that you guys go on the Audubon.org and listen to, I don't know, there must have been 10 different calls they make. Um, and all of them are kind of recognizable. I had a friend years ago, well, a client of mine that had a blue jay and would uh, every day get on top of a little steeple thing she had and just um, mimic this other, I guess it was another bird. And every day, I don't know, for two months, it was there every single day at the same time making this noise. It was the coolest thing. And I, I didn't realize it was a blue jay until I saw the picture of them. So anyway, worth a listen to and uh, looking more into because they're a pretty cool little bird. So thanks, Jen. There you go. And now we're at Critter Nutrition. And the topic is the ego and the heart. And I, I refer to it as not quite Alice. I had one of those spirit awakenings. One minute I was much like a bunny munching happily on greens. The next moment I was falling down a rabbit hole only to land at the feet of a rather potent presence, my ego. In this strange context of facing one's ego, a pomegranate appeared in my hand. And a quiet knowingness whispered that the pomegranate represented my heart. And if I opened the pomegranate, all the emotional hurt and pain would fall out. I thought to myself, how awesome is this? Let go of old emotional suffering. Just as I was about to crack open the pomegranate, my ego gathered itself up into the shape of a T-Rex and commanded me to hand over the pomegranate so it could eat it. You are not going to eat my heart, I told my ego. I eat everything, the T-Rex replied. I am the source for instant gratification, hunger that goes unsatiated no matter how much food or natural resources I consume. I am the anger. I am the road rage. I am the frustration when you don't get what you expect or want. I am the revenge on those who have hurt you. I am the guilt. I am the judgment. I am the fear. Overhead, on the surface, I heard a strong gust of wind, and moments later, a tree branch crashing to the ground. In a second of synchronicity, I cracked the pomegranate against a rock. As I expected, pomegranate seeds began to fall, but surprisingly, just a few. And then came a cascade of small river pebbles, larger than grains of sand, but rounded, smooth, and they kept falling until they formed a pile like a roadside cairn. Now you've done it, my ego said. I looked down at the split open pomegranate. It was considerably lighter in my hands now and warm. Feed the beast, my ego chanted, rocking back and forth from one leg to the other and drooling. The pomegranate was getting warmer, and it was then I noticed a tiny flame had emerged from the center like a light from a matchstick. 
As I stared at the flame, I felt a sense of expansiveness. I was growing in all directions. My ego began to shrink, becoming smaller and smaller, like something out of an animated film. I grew so large that I burst out of the rabbit hole. As I expanded, I became lighter, above the trees and part of the trees, moving into the clouds. And as I marveled at the revelation of open heart and lightness, I promptly felt the thick heaviness of body and landed with a thud on the ground. The pomegranate was still in my hand, and in my head, a little T-Rex whispered, feed me. From this adventure into opening my heart and facing my ego, I am newly aware of how much time I spend in my head without spending as much time with my pomegranate. And while I wish my ego had been a unicorn or a phoenix, the fact that it was indeed a T-Rex helped me see myself in a whole new light. These days, I constantly ask myself, am I feeding the beast or am I keeping my heart open? (laughs) Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And now we're at Coffee Clatch. And we're going to share some of our new favorite things. (laughs) And I have two new favorite things. Start off with the first one. Um, Dr. Judy Morgan is a very well-known holistic veterinarian. And she has a, a web store. She's got great books. And with this puppy... And she also sells Biostar, so. <laughs> well, that makes her better already. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I was looking for treats because I have a puppy that will basically eat anything. And he's very oral. And so I, and I didn't want to feed him crappy treats. So I went to Dr. Judy Morgan, drjudymorgan.com. And she has, I wish I had found these treats when I raised all the other puppies. Um, she's got treats that you just won't find on Chewy or Amazon or even, uh, you might find them in a specialty dog store. But they're, they're just, they're smaller companies, very clean ingredients. One of my dog's. A couple of my dog's favorite are, uh, this is a company called Farmhounds, turkey gizzard sticks, which sound revolting, but 
the dog thing the greatest things on earth. Um, there's Icelandic and cod chew sticks, and my dogs like them way better than the Himalayan chews. In fact, my dogs won't eat the Himalayan chews. There are, um, from green juju, there are dried bison treats, and they are great because they're a really good size for in your pocket when you're training. So uh, this is my new uh, absolutely favorite place to shop. And in, in the food area, she um, has these meal toppers. And I discovered, again, from Green Juju, the product called Just Greens, and it's freeze-dried green vegetables. And my dogs go absolutely bonkers for these green vegetables added to their food. That's cool. And makes me feel good about it, too. So uh, it's drjudymorgan.com. And it's my new favorite thing. Huh. Well, there you go. I did I, how to get dogs to eat vegetables. Now they need to do, need to do the same thing for people treats. Yeah. So that is that's where you get it, Tigger. I was just looking it up. It's um, what the green juju is. That's not the website. No, it's drjudymorgan.com. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. And well, go to Meal up. Topper, and you'll find the Just Greens. Okay. Cool. Patty, you're next. Well, um, I have two things, but they're in the same genre. Um, In case no one has known this, um, Texas is hot in the summer, and this has been one of the highest record ones um, there has been in a long time. And recently, because I had to trailer some horses because I was dropping a horse off and picking one up, I've been a little freaked out about traveling when it's 108 out. So um, I have a couple different things that we've been trying. Well, actually, there's, there's, this is twofold. My, I've been so worried about my chickens. Um, I have fans on them, and I, go, I try to go down several times a day, and I can't let them free reign unless I'm home. I'm worried, I'm worried about predators. So um, I would go down and put ice with seeds and stuff to like cool them off for them to do whatever. But it only lasts for, well, when it's 108, it doesn't last long. So I was like, how can I keep them cool? So I got this, this misting fan. It's a cobalt misting fan. It's battery operated and it sits on a five gallon water bucket. And I go down about one o'clock and I put it on my chickens and they have been doing great. But you can also use that in a horse trailer. Um, apparently you can, if you attach it a certain way, you can actually take the line and there's a bag that you can get and fill up with ice and water. That's one of my, what one of my clients does when she comes and uh, drives to me um, when it's hot out. But the coolest thing, um, and maybe a little bit easier, I don't know if you guys have seen it it's on Facebook, it's called Icy Breeze. And it is a cooler that is, um, is guaranteed in a closed-in room to drop the temperature 30 degrees and you fill it with ice. And um, it just looks like your basic cooler and there's a hose that comes out of it and you have, there's different settings to it and I use it in the horse trailer. So I have a two plus one so I can attach, I I can secure it in front of the, um, the open area where the horses go. And I had to haul a horse and it was really hot and I was completely freaked out. And I um, put this icy breeze thing. And so you fill it up with ice and you have to do it about 
every three hours you, ha- you do have to fill it back up. But you, for three hours, you know you're getting cold air on them. So what I just did is had another bag of ice in another cooler and just added that to it. You have, also have to put water in it. But by the time I got this horse home, he was not sweating at all. He was completely cool. So I can't recommend that wow. enough. Cool. And last but not least, I also got these rechargeable fan, fans. And I was trying to look at on, on what they were called on Amazon. They're, again, they're rechargeable fans that have a clamp to them. So you can, for me, I put them in, I put them in my chicken coop, but I also put them um, on uh, in the horse trailer where you can, you know, attach it. And um, it, you know, will run on like, say, medium. I mean, if you run them on the highest, they're going to burn out quicker. Um, but these things um, push off a decent amount of air and they're called the, the one I have is by Klein tools. And actually it has a magnet on it. The clamp has, is also worked as a magnet on the other side and um, you can get in a nine inch or I think a seven inch. And, and I put those on my horses and my chickens and they probably last, I would say on low, the last probably four hours, no, maybe five hours on like medium, probably just like two to three hours. But again, it's just another way to keep things cool. How about you, Jen? How about me? I was, you see, you just, you just reminded me of one. Um, Oh, the the first one, the first one is a word. Ryobi. Anybody who shopped at, at at Home Depot is familiar with Ryobi. It's all those neon green stuff, tools they have that you put the batteries in. Yep. Yep. I I have, I have the little fan that has the misters on it. Uh huh. So you just pop the battery into it. You set the fan on top of a five gallon bucket or any bucket with the same diameter. It has little clips that make it stick to the bucket. And you turn it on, you turn on the fan, and then you turn on the mister, and voila, misting yep. for your horse. And it, I found that if I have it on high mist and high fan, it will last a good three to four hours on the battery. If you put it on low, you can probably add a third to that. It's great for in the yeah. horse trailer. If you, you can't put it on a bucket in the horse trailer, cause it's, it's not that bucket's not stable enough, Yeah. but Ryobi also makes clamping fans like you make, like you use, and mm-hmm. they make two or three other different sizes, but the ease of use and simplicity and great price point of those fans make them really nice for barn use. Yeah. You don't have oh, to pay wow. a ton of money for them. They they use the same battery as about 40 million other Ryobi tools. And they come, the yeah, battery comes the, in different sizes. You can get the wee little one that'll last a couple of hours. Or you can get the giant one that'll last six to eight hours. So a really handy device for this kind of hot weather. And it's also nice in your tack room in the winter. You close up the tack room. You have some kind of a heat source in there. You're trying to get things to dry out. Set one of these in the corner away from everything else on low to help keep the air moving and stuff will dry a little faster. That's for future use. And my other new favorite thing, I hope, I hope is going to be my favorite thing. I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Watch this space is I got this little gadget called a snack time feeder. Dun, dun, dun. Came across it online and it's like other, like other things that I've bought. It is actually made to feed wildlife or game if you please it's designed to be a feeder for turkeys deer whatever but it has a timer and a little feed dispenser 
And I just got it programmed this evening. I'm going to run it through its test overnight for Scooter to have a little automatic feeder in his dry lot. Ah. Have, you ever, have either of you ever priced automatic feeders for horses? Yeah. No. They cost more than the horse. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> am, I, am I right, Tigger? They're, they're crazy expensive. Yes, you're right. They are they're ridiculous. Cr- ridiculously expensive. Now, this is a small, lightweight version. It, it will only dispense certain textures. But it was inexpensive. It was a whop- it's a whopping 90 bucks which by feeder standards is a pittance. So I will let you know how it works. And the really clever part about this one is it has a timer in it. So you can set it to feed X number of times during a certain period and you tell it how much it's going to feed. But I'm really excited about trying out. Again, I don't know if it's going to work. They have, uh, it's something that in the hunting culture, it's called a bump feeder where there's hmm. a, a rod that comes down the bo- from the bottom of the feeder, which is hanging up somewhere. There's a rod that comes down that has a ball on the end. And when something bumps the rod, it moves it off of its plug so that feed can fall out. Well, he stepped that up oh. a little bit. And now this one has a bump on it. So there's a rod that hangs down with a little ball on the end. And when something bumps that, it triggers it to dispense a, a certain predetermined amount of food so i can set it to that when it gets bumped it will drop a half a cup of food and then the horse will learn very quickly that if i bump that i will get food ah so it can be a type of self-feeder but this guy's been really clever he put a really good chip or motherboard in there because you can set it so that if he bumps it no matter how many times he bumps it after that it won't give him any more for half an hour or six hours or whatever you want um, so it's got a really smart computer in there and I'm really excited about doing that so that Scooter, who, who is stuck living in by himself in a dry lot, that's a pretty boring lifestyle, wouldn't you think? Giving yeah. him ways to enrich his day because if he has to work for his food, it's going to give him something to do, right? Um, yeah. So we'll watch this space for testing coming soon. Yeah. Update. Updates. I have another so feeder, I, I but I haven't, want, I haven't tested uh, yet, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So my second favorite thing is a German company called Holtz Kern. H-O-L-Z-K-E-R-N. And they make the coolest watches. Oh. They use natural elements, like they use wood. And these watches are really light. You know, sometimes metals and stuff, they can get kind of heavy. And they have a whole line of solar watches. Solar watches? Wait a minute. On on one solar charge. Wow. I've never heard of a solar watch before. I hadn't either. That's pretty cool. So, um... I just love how they use um, some of their watch faces are stone and there's wood in every band, different kinds of wood, olive and lead wood and walnut and zebra wood and amaranth and koa. Um, It's just really cool. Their designs are beautiful. And um, I bought, I bought a watch and it is, 
I bought the watch, a watch made from Amaranth, and it is the lightest watch I've ever had on my wrist. It's, I, it's oh, almost what? like I don't know it's there. So oh. I. Uh, cool. are, are you looking them up? Yes. <laughs> oh, that one's cool. They're a I'm very gonna, cool I'm gonna, company. I'm gonna go they into, ship really fast. I'm going to go into Glenn's computer and make sure I block this site. Because he, he'll okay. be watching, he'll be buying watches again. <laughs> They're beautiful. <laughs> What's the tell, me the, tell me the website again. It's world.holzkern, H-O-L-Z-K-E-R-N.com. And everything's in English, so. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> and they have great customer service. Oh, the sunglasses are fun. The sunglasses are awesome. Yeah. And they have really cool, they're called bandlets. They're little bracelets made of wood, wood and metal. How fun. There you go. That's fun. Great gift, great gift ideas. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. <laughs> <laughs> 